Welcome to another edition of the Basketball Teacher Podcast. Our mission is to bring you discussions on a wide array of topics in the coaching world to grow players on and off the court. You can connect with us on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, and also reach us directly through email at basketballteacherpodcast at gmail.com. Now, here's your host, Coach Mike Hernandez. Welcome back. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Wherever it is you're listening from, whatever platform you're listening to us on, I greatly appreciate it. Always appreciate you guys uh, spreading the word and sending the message out uh, for others so that they can hear these great conversations that we're having. It's been awesome, and I look forward to continue to bring these podcasts to you. So today's topic is one that is very personal to me because every team that I have coached in my coaching career has fit this description. Uh, we're going to talk today about coaching an undersized team, uh, an undersized team and how you can use it to your advantage, what sort of adjustments you make, how you make it work for you so that, yes, you might have an undersized team, but you still got to coach them and you still got to get the most out of them. So how we can maximize those opportunities, even if you have that disadvantage that may exist uh, off the bat. So we're going to jump into this topic and to help discuss this topic, uh, I have with me Coach Brian Carver. Coach, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, this, this, this should be fun. And again, it's personal to me, but I know a lot of coaches uh, kind of face this dilemma and face this situation. So I'm sure this will be really useful to a lot of people. So coach, let's go ahead and start with uh, introduction to you. Uh, where's the game taking you? Where's your coaching journey taking you? And mm -hmm. what have been the stops in between? <laughs> well, uh, I'm like most people. I was an undersized player uh, when I played in high school. So I fell in love with the work process. Uh, I wasn't necessarily good enough to take it beyond high school very much. I played some small junior college ball and that's about as far as it went. Uh, but, uh, I was very fortunate in that um, my next door neighbor was also my high school coach. And so he watched me grow up. He watched me shoot in the driveway for hours upon hours. Um, uh, my parents got a promotion to a big company in, in California when I was in middle school. And I said, I don't want to go to California when I'm from North Carolina. Uh, so they agreed, graciously let me agree to stay at, with my grandparents. So uh, that high school coach of mine became sort of like an impromptu father figure for me, uh, you know, and uh, that was really cool. And, and it showed me the ropes of how high school coaches work and how they live. And, you know, there was a lot of times he'd be out in the driveway and he'd walk over and talk to me about, hey, we've got this film or that film and different things. So it worked out. I kind of got a, a, an early introduction into that uh, of coaching world. And then um, – it was funny because I hadn't graduated high school yet. And I was, uh, matter of fact, I was leaving school one day and my high school coach walked out behind me and he says, hey, what are you, what are you doing? I said, I'm going home. And he said, no, I mean, like, after you graduate, what, what, where, are we, where are you going specifically, like this summer? Are you going to be gone in June? And I was like, none that I'm aware of, no. And he said, well, I need somebody to coach our JV team at team camp. Our JV can't go. Can you take our JV team? And I said, love to. I, I'm going to take it. That's all it took for me. I got on at the team camp with the JV team uh, and was hooked. And yeah. I've been coaching high school basketball ever since. So I'm starting my 30th year coaching high school basketball. Uh, the last 20, I've been the head coach back at my high school that I graduated from, Inca High School. And uh, very fortunate because, like I said, the gentleman that I, that I played for and then initially worked under for seven years uh, was one of the elite top-level high school coaches in our area uh, and, and taught me a lot. I would say I've been around a lot of people, seen a lot of college practices, seen a lot of college stuff and school stuff as well. I don't know that I've ever come across a better teacher of the game. 
someone can argue X's and O's and someone can argue strategy and philosophy. But I don't know that I've ever met anybody that teaches the game at, at its purest level uh, to kids as well as he did. And I, I thank God that on my part of it, I learned some of that from him. I still feel like I do it as well as he does. But that was a gift he had to learn how to teach kids the game of basketball. Uh, I left Inca after those uh, seven years working for my high school coach uh, and went to a, a rival high school uh, down the road and they were widely considered the best basketball program in the entire state at that time uh, when I was there. And I was an assistant coach there for that head coach. His name was Richie Sizemore. Uh, and, you know, I think sometimes you got to just say, how lucky was I that I got in that position to work under Coach Sizemore for a crook for those seven years. And then I leave and work for Richie Sizemore. It's like in, in our area, in the state of North Carolina, that was, you know, two of the, you know, Mount Rushmore's of high school. <laughs> So I got lucky enough to, to sit right beside both of them for, for quite a bit of time. And then uh, the opportunity came to go back to Inca uh, as the head coach. And I took that job and I've been there now, finished starting, I think it's my 20th year as the head coach. Uh, so uh, I've been through it all. I've seen a lot of 30 years sitting on the high school bench, man. I'm yeah. Yeah, you see a lot of trends, but uh, kind of like what you said at the beginning of your introductory, that's kind of a topic near and dear to you. I, I think um, the majority of the teams that I have coached over the years, I felt like we were undersized, uh, and and we had to learn how to manipulate that to our favor and not let that become such a disadvantage for us. And just with that, because you have coached for as long as you have, what, what trends have you noticed? What, how has the game changed? How has the game like stayed the same over your, your coaching career? Well, I, I think if you, you know, you hear this a lot of talking when you, people talk about the NBA and stuff, but the game is way, way, way less physical nowadays. Mm -hmm. uh, when, back when I first started coaching, uh, you got away with hand checks. Like it was legal. You could teach hand checking. Uh, and, and, you know, you were very physical handling ball screens. You were very physical handling floppy uh, actions and stuff. You basically tried to just beat the crap out of everybody on the defensive and see who could physically survive it. Uh, and uh, technique has driven a lot more stuff uh, on the teaching side of it. Now you have to be – you have to know your craft. Uh, the coaches are good. Uh, I think a lot of times I, I say this, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to – point light at any one particular person or group of people but it seemed like a lot of times there were coaches that they just coached because they wanted the teaching job or, <laughs> or the assistant coach had been on the bench and now it was their turn but they really weren't basketball people taking basketball jobs and uh, I think that's what you see a lot of now it's gotten really specialized just like this, the kids specialized coaching has gotten specialized you you see a lot of coaches that aren't teachers anymore uh, you know, my whole staff basically is non, uh, non-staff, non-teaching. I got one other coach on my staff that is a teacher with me, but the rest of the staff is all non-staff people uh, that, that are out in the community in the real world. So that's what you see a lot more of nowadays. Uh, and, you know, I think just like, like I said, the kids are specializing in it, coaches are specializing in it, and you've really got to learn your craft, know your stuff. Uh, and it's, it's fun time. And I, I, it, for kids like me, the taking the physicality out of it kind of makes it more on, on the lines of athletic ability, and sometimes that hurts kids like me because we're not athletic kids in the world, and we and and when I can't put my hands on you, your athleticism might take over. Sure. Uh, but uh, certainly, uh, it's fun. I, I enjoy the game. 
now probably as much as I ever did, um, teaching it and learning new stuff and learning new trends. Uh, I think the three-point line, obviously, I know it, you know, I think school started in 1986 or 85, at least in North Carolina it did. So it's been around. It's not like it's a new thing. Uh, but people have really, over the last 10 years, 15 years, kind of embraced the three-point shot as a weapon and not a fallback. Uh, we've gotten away from – I don't know the last time. It's probably been six or eight years in our area that you had that dominant big man that just ate space and couldn't do anything. He, you couldn't – that kid couldn't step out and play 10, 12 feet from the basket because it wasn't good enough. He was strictly a low drop step shoot little hooks right. up and, and play. And if you get a kid like that, that kid can shoot threes just as good as any guard. Really. Uh, so, uh, you know, that that's definitely a change in the game. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And so, uh, it's funny that you mentioned it about, about, about the coaches in particular, because I remember even just for me growing up, knowing like some, some guys who coached and they were like really into football and that was their sport. Mm -hmm. And then they just like mm -hmm. coach basketball, but they didn't yes. really care about basketball. Like they were just like <laughs> doing it just to mm -hmm. do it. And so you're right though, about like, you know, for, especially with coaches, uh, how much knowledge is out there. And then you have some conversations mm -hmm. with some of these coaches and it's like, they're yeah. like encyclopedias and stuff. And they, they like yeah. know all this stuff. And well, I, I, yeah. I say this a lot to people and, and, and I don't know if people get offended by it or not. Nobody's ever really questioned me on it, but I, they, again, they got to go off. You know, I got a lot of experience in this. There are a lot of high school coaches out there that probably know more or as much as a lot of college coaches. What, we, what we're not able to do is get in depth because we don't have the time to spend basketball because we're teaching, because we're working at a, at a, at another offsite facility or a job that we, that's not teaching. We don't have, our whole job is not 24 hours a day, seven days a week basketball. So we don't get to go in, de in depth with it. But college coaches have a, a system and a, and a style they run, and they know that better than anybody. They run that. But high school coaches, I may run it this way this year, but that ain't going to work two years from now because my whole crew changes. Sure. Uh, and I don't have to really necessarily go out and recruit players to fit my system. I've got to learn a new system while maintaining my philosophy and my identity. I've got to learn a new system that fits my kids a little better. So – uh, I think sometimes you can get some high school coaches that really, really, really know a lot of basketball. Uh, and that, that intrigues me too. Cause that puts me, that keeps me on my toes. It keeps me working hard. Yeah. And I think that that's one of the, the, the tricky things about coaching high school versus even at the collegiate level is at the high school level, like you mentioned, as a coach, you're going to know so much more than you're ever going to get the opportunity to teach. And that mm -hmm. you have all this information, you have all of these things yep. that you know, and you just wish that you could just, you know, pour yep. into your players, but you can't, you have to be really efficient with your time and you have to be really mm -hmm. resourceful of how you use those hours because you're just not going to be able to get, like you said, get into depth with all the things you want. And so you have to think like, what is most important? And you have to convey that yes. in a way that, you know, mm -hmm. 15, 16, 17, 18 year olds uh, can best understand too. And, and yeah. You know, that, that's also really interesting. And that's another and, thing, and too. For the most part, you look around the college game, they, they for the most part, and I mean, there's some exceptions to the rule, like Syracuse and places like that. But for the most part, they play man. Uh, so, you know, mm -hmm. you have a certain game plan, a certain way to attack that. Man, in high school, you can see 12 different defenses on nine different possessions. Mm -hmm. And you've got to be on your toes about how to – and, you know, I've got books and filing cabinets full of stuff that I would never do and never teach. I had, I had an assistant coach one time ask me, why do you have all that stuff? Why do you study that and read that when you're never going to do that? That doesn't even fit your philosophy. 
And my whole thing to him was like, well, if somebody does that to me, I want to know what they're doing and why they're doing it in a way that then I can attack that. So I study stuff that I, I mean, I'm not a two, three zone guy. Uh, that's just not me. I'm, it's not really in me to do it. It's just, you know, generic, you know, two, three zone, but I study it sometimes just because I kind of want to see what's the philosophy behind it. What are they trying to force me to do? Mm-hmm. Uh, offensive team coming against that, I'm, I know how to attack it. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I think yeah. that's why sometimes high school, some high school coaches sometimes may be your better coaches. <laughs> uh, yeah, in that regard, I, I won't uh, say that. I, I well, would do no, anything yeah, to have right. the time the college coaches have to dedicate to just basketball. Sure, but there is a lot, like you said, there is so much more that you're going to see may, possibly at a high school level in terms mm-hmm. of like different defenses, different presses, different press breaks, and all these different things yes. that you just couldn't do it at the collegiate level because collegiate level players can just easily, you know, get by that or just you yes. know, deal with that. But at a high school level, like – a little bit more chess involved in that sense, mm-hmm. for sure. Absolutely. Exactly. Um, also, before we get into this topic, I know that you mm-hmm. are an athletic director. And so mm-hmm. I, I find that personally interesting. I've, I've talked to a couple. Mm-hmm. And, and so in your experience, just as a coach and as an athletic director, what have you learned as a coach just from being an athletic director and being involved in all these other sports that are out there? Oh, man, I, I can tell you, it's, it's almost like a, a Littman's test every day when you go to work. <laughs> you can see your philosophy put into place in real world, in real time with the other coaches that you've hired and put in places to run their programs. Do, do, do they model the, the ideas and, and the kind of the philosophy that you have set up as a school, as an athletic program? Uh, do they fall in line with that? Uh, so that, that part's been really good. Uh, you can see how others go through trials uh, and they go through different parts of the ups and downs and the ebb and flow of high school sports. Uh, and how they handle it. Uh, I, sometimes I wonder, because I've not had many coaches ever ask me why, but I, I, I love to walk into our, our other coaches, our other team's locker rooms. Oh, love yeah. It. And I do it a, a lot. And they think I'm like, i got my eye on you. That, and that's really not what it's about. I, I love to go and see what, how the other coaches address their kids and what they're saying to their kids and how they're presenting their knowledge and their information and their philosophy to their teams. And uh, a lot of times that's displayed in the locker room where you don't have to ask anybody anything. You can just walk, simply walk into a locker room and kind of see uh, what does this coach believe? What is this program about? Mm-hmm. It really excites me. I've got some really phenomenal coaches on our staff. Uh, we've won as a school in, in the area. This is, I, I know you're in Phoenix and you have no idea how, what, it is, which, what I'm getting ready to tell you. I think as a school system, we won or seven state championships in the last five or six years in various sports. Uh, and for our size in our area where we're from, that's flat out amazing. Uh, now, obviously, you've got to have talent to do it. There's no question about that. But in, on top of that, we've got some really amazing coaches that go to work every day. Uh, I learn a lot from them. Uh, and, on, and on the flip side of that, yes, we've got you know, some state, cal- state championship caliber programs, but we've got some programs that struggle. Uh, you know, we're not the most athletic region, not the most athletic school in our league, in our district, in our area. Uh, but certainly uh, that sometimes it shows itself in some certain sports. And uh, mm. coaches work just as hard as the ones that win state championships. And I get to see I've been being I've been the athletic director for 19 years of the 20 that I've been back at as the head coach. And I've, I don't know whether you call this a privilege or, <laughs> or a cross I have to bear. I don't know. But I've been involved with a lot of hiring of new coaches. Uh, and I've been also involved in a lot of the dismissing of some older coaches or, or, or coaches that didn't fit the philosophy, some, so to speak. And uh, so you kind of get an idea of, of, of good and bad. 
it, you right. see it happening and you go, hmm, I don't know if I would do that if I was that person. Well, let, let me follow up on that then. So, yeah. so because I, f I think that that's interesting then. So when you're mm -hmm. in the process of hiring new coaches, when you see mm -hmm. that, that new coach and you interact with them and you see the way that coach interacts with their program, what mm -hmm. in your mind lets you know, okay, this coach has got it or okay, this, mm -hmm. this might be an issue? I think ultimately the first thing that, that pops out, that jumps off the page immediately is their ability to communicate. Uh, if they're a good communicator and they, and, and they have a presence about them, uh, when they address their team, when they walk in the room, the room changes. Uh, they have an aura about them. They, like if, if me and their coach is walking into the room and the kids are in the whatever, the mat room, the gym, the softball field, the baseball field, wherever they're, wherever they're at, and me and their coach walk in, does the attention immediately go, oh, coach is here, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, you you kind of get an idea real quick uh, this person's got it or not. Uh, mm -hmm. it, how the kids respond, how the kids react to them in non-coaching situations. Sometimes you can tell a lot about how well the program is ran if the kids respect the coach uh, enough to treat them with respect and authority. Uh, and, and, and to me, this is huge for me, huge. I mean, it's like one of my big bugaboos, and that is uh, image and portrayal and how you present yourself. Uh, you're representing our school. You're representing your program. You're representing yourself as a human being, uh, and you're representing your style and who you are. So is that what you want people to see about you? Uh, if that is the case, you know, depends on what that is, I guess, obviously. Sometimes I look at some of our coaches and I go, that, that person's got it. You know, that person's got it all around. They're the total package. And then, uh, unfortunately, I've been on the other end of it sometimes when you go, you know, you not really good communicator and the kids don't really respect you and you know that kind of stuff you have to kind of make some tough decisions in this world with that but uh it i absorb something from every one of them uh, i've worked for uh let me see one two three four five have five head coaches in my 30 years uh, before i became one sure and i learned something from all of them uh they were all great in their own route uh and in their own world but i learned something something from all of them and not all of it was good there was some of it that I can as is as, as a head coach when I become one I don't want to do it that way I, I that's not me I can't be that I'm not gonna be that mm -hmm. back sometimes with our coaches as, as an athletic director and I, and I look at that and I go that's your style that's your philosophy and I respect that I would never do it that way mm -hmm. I can't do it that way I wouldn't do it that way and, and then the flip side of that too is I sit back sometimes and and I see something that our coaches do, and I go, uh, I'm stealing that because that's pretty <laughs> uh, You know, so Nothing I think all that. of us in coaching world, we steal anything and everything we can get our hands on. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. uh, I'm no different. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's take everything. I think that's my philosophy as a teacher and as a coach, you know. take absolutely. If it's not nailed down, take it. And if it is nailed down, give it a good pull anyway and, and see if it will exactly. come down. That's kind of been if my philosophy. If they want bad enough back, they'll come ask for it. <laughs> right, exactly. And and, and I, I think, too, another thing kind of like with what you mentioned, at least for me personally, there are things that I know that other coaches do that mm -hmm. they do really well that I can't do. That just wouldn't Correct. be me if I did it. And I think that that's mm -hmm. also important to recognize is there's traits and there's personality characteristics mm -hmm. that I see other coaches do and they have a lot of success with it. Yes. But if I tried to do that, my players would just laugh at me and they they just look at me confused because it isn't me. Mm -hmm. And they know, you know, and they probably, those other coaches probably couldn't do what I do either. And that's fine. Exactly. And, and that's exactly. okay too. And, um, but I've, again, I, I've learned a, a, a lot and I think we all learn a lot I, from others. That and, may have been one of the biggest growth moments I had as a head coach was 
I think we're all guilty of it when we become a head coach for the first time is you are a byproduct of the people you have played for or worked under. So then on some small level, it depends on the, you almost try to be them. Uh, and I, I could find myself a lot of times going, well, how would so-and-so have handled this? What would so-and-so, well, it doesn't matter what they do. They're not making the decision. I am. And I've got, and I've got to be the one that kind of looks at the ramifications of what happens after it. So I got to be me. And, and when I finally came to that realization that I am a little bit of all of those people, but I am ultimately me. And I've got, I, I've got some, uh, matter of fact, one's our head girls basketball coach. He played for me uh, all four school, which around here is kind of unheard of, was my starting point guard from his freshman year on. Uh, then he worked for me for several years as my JV coach or my assistant at the varsity level. And now he's the head girls coach. Uh, he got that job two years ago. He's done a phenomenal job, tremendous job. Mm-hmm. He's got to be him. Uh, he sure. can't be me. Uh, and I'm sure there are times, when you know, he does things exactly the way I do them. And there's times when he does them, I wouldn't do them that way. And, and I watch him coach and I'm like, Loving. There's nobody that I would want rather coaching those girls than him because I love him and I taught him. But at the same token, I uh, he doesn't do everything I would do. He's got to be his own person. Uh, it's sometimes that's hard to do as a young coach, really. Yeah, and and I think if you're a young coach and and you teach the way you're taught, because as a younger coach, you're like, well, I turned out all right. I turned out well. Mm-hmm. So if I just teach yeah. him the way I was coached. They're going to turn exactly. out well too, but, and mm-hmm. I mean, I know for me personally, I mean, I coach girls. So if I, you know, try to coach or, you know, teach anyway, the mm-hmm. way I was taught things, you know, it's just, it's just mm-hmm. different and, and that's fine. And that's okay too. And I think there's a lot of, a lot of learning, like you said, a lot of learning that can come from other, other people. And let me, let me throw that little tidbit out there. I, I, that's, that's big in my world too, because yes, I was obviously coaching, playing on the boys side forever. Uh, and then I have two daughters. And most specifically, I guess my older daughter came through and I began coaching her like travel ball AAU team early age when she was in second and third grade. Mm-hmm. And it was my first experience coaching girls. And all up until that point in time, you know, boys basketball, boys basketball, where it's at. You're basketball coach, and you're thinking, well, I, don't, I wouldn't coach girls basketball. That's not me. I, I'm just not girl. I'm telling you, I love it. And basketball is basketball. I don't care what, if they're boy girl, it don't matter. Basketball is basketball, and sometimes uh, I enjoyed teaching of the girls' program as much or if not more than I did coaching the boys because of the different style, the way the differences in the girls, the way they learn, uh, and things of that nature, it really intrigued me. And, I mean, I had a blast. I've had an absolute blast coaching girls' basketball, uh, especially at the travel ball level, I'd say for the last almost 10 years, 12 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm a head boys' coach, and then in travel ball, and I roll around, I coach girls. <laughs> it's really yeah. unique, and I love it. And, and it, again, it gives me a, a very interesting perspective on learning styles and things of that nature. So uh, anybody that's contemplating and says that whole thing, I can't coach girls, you're missing an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you. I appreciate you mentioning that as somebody who's coached girls for eight years now, mm-hmm. you know, any, anyone who's, who champions coaching girls, basketball yeah. guys or girls, I appreciate mm-hmm. that. Cause yeah, definitely a great Basketball's opportunity. Basketball. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Of course. Now, so as we kind of transition here in, into mm-hmm. our topic, speaking of basketball is basketball, whether you coach girls or boys, here's a chance mm-hmm. you'll be coaching an undersized team. And mm-hmm. uh, you and I both have experience with this. So coach, when I ask you as somebody who has coached undersized teams, what mm-hmm. do you do to try and make it as much of a non-factor as possible? What sort of adjustments and things do you do in your coaching to try and, and not make it as much of an issue as it could be? Well, I think a lot of that's relative to, to your area. 
you know, and things of that nature. And, and here's what I mean by that. Um, you know, if I have a 6'2", 6'3", center, mm-hmm. that's undersized by a large margin. I mean, no doubt. Most people in our area have a center that's 6'5", 6'4", 6'6", 6'7". Ours is usually 6'2", to 6'4". Mm-hmm. But that same guy, that same program around us that has the 6'5 center can play in a bigger city like Charlotte or Raleigh in those areas, and their centers are going to be 6'9", 6'10". Mm-hmm. So they're going to be talking about playing as an undersized team. Mm-hmm. Uh, playing as an undersized team is always a relative concept uh, to where you're at in your area and the kids that you're dealt with. Um, so I think for me, early on in my career, I, I didn't – I don't want to, I didn't want to face the facts and we are what we are. We are who we are. Can't make my kid all of a sudden become a six, four point guard. Uh, you know, they're, they are what they are. Uh, so I think we get enamored as, as coaches with size and we always try to force the envelope a little bit. You know what I mean by saying, well, you, you give a kid a little bit more than maybe they deserve or their talent level deserves because they're a little, uh, because they're a little bigger. Uh, and, and you at the end game, you're like, I don't understand why we didn't, this team didn't necessarily reach its potential. And sometimes you can trace that back to, well, I didn't give them, I didn't put them in a situation to let them be successful because I was so worried about making sure I had size on the floor. I, I had several teams when I first got started as a head coach that, you know, I had kids that grew up as post players. Uh, they were six, they got to high school, and all of a sudden they're six four, six five. And they had been nothing but a post player their whole life. But now they can dribble a little bit and they can move a little bit and they, they thinned up a little bit. And they're 6'4", 165, 170 pounds. And I'm trying to force them to be a two-guard. And they didn't have two-guard skill sets. But I was bound and determined I'm going to put three 6'4 kids out there because that makes us huge and we're big. Yeah. Uh, and everybody's going to be enamored by how big we are across well, we didn't have anybody that could shoot it. We didn't really have anybody that could dribble it because that wasn't their skill set. Mm-hmm. Uh, put them in situations really to make – almost put them in situations where they were going to fail. Uh, and we weren't as successful as we need be just simply from that, uh, that part. So uh, I made an adjustment, uh, and it, it was great because it was the absolute wrong adjustment to make. <laughs> was, I said, okay, we're going to be slow. Yeah. Uh, and we're going to have really good ball handling, so we're going to try to control the ball. So I wanted to go really slow, and I wanted to spread everybody out, and I wanted – we don't have a shot clock in North Carolina, but I, I essentially told our kids if we did, we would be thinking, like, we ain't shooting anything until we've had, you know, like a minute and a half, minute and 40 run off the clock. We're going to people to death and run all these intricate sets and you know, try to beat people 45 to 40. Mm-hmm. And first off, I have ADHD. You probably already figured that out in a little bit. <laughs> I am wide open. And that did not mesh with my philosophy and my personality at all. Sure. Uh, so it was boring. I hated it. The kids hated it. Uh, now, we could run the heck out of a set. Uh, you know, we, we had intricate, detailed set after set. We could get in and run them. Uh, but it was just not a very fun brand of basketball to play. And that, that's just, that was because of my philosophy and my style. It might work for somebody else, but it didn't work for me. What I also noticed trying to play that way with people uh, was that we never got the opportunity to take advantage of our of our lack of size and get out and get easy baskets in transition. Mm-hmm. We were all to play against a set five-on-five defense, 
so the the first adjustment to realizing that we're an undersized team that I kind of made was, all right, so we're going to go back and we're going to fast break like nobody's business. Instead of trying to play in the 40s, we're going to try to play in the 80s. Uh, and we still maintained our identity of running intricate sets and things of that nature. Uh, but we tried to, we implemented a fast break and a secondary fast break type system. Uh, you know, Roy Williams, when he came from Kansas back to North Carolina and kind of, in my opinion, made that the secondary fast break kind of a popular term, not that people weren't running it before that and, and everything, but he made it a really household name that you got to run secondary fast break. And, and it became something that most schools did, but it became almost our bread and butter was fast break, secondary fast break. Oh, okay, now we got to run a set. And we and we were still pretty good at running those sets. Um, yeah. It, throughout that whole process, I still think of so many times where I would go, okay, well, I got this 6'4 kid who's he's okay, and I'm going to run him out there at, at my four so I can have some size when – now that I'm looking at it 10 years removed from that team, we probably would have been better having him be in the backup center and bring another ball handler and another, and another guard in there and making us a little more athletic and a little better ball handling, a little more shooting, a little more, you know, just basketball IQ-ish type stuff in certain terms of playing out on the perimeter. But I never would because you, you get so enamored thinking, I'm going I'm to give up, I'm going to get killed on the backboards and people are going to wear me out on the post. And that's going to happen. I think that's the – that's the thing you're going to have to just bite the bullet and accept. And that is if you're an undersized team, there are going to be times when you're going to get hammered on the backboard because you're just so little compared to some of the other people you might play. Uh, but what you try to do is come up with styles and philosophies and, and adjustments, that in-game adjustments that you can make to maybe neutralize some of that. So your, your, your approach then is more like, what do we have? What can I maximize and Absolutely. get the most out of on my end as opposed to mm-hmm. trying to almost react <laughs> to what the other team yes. has? I, I think that sounds like it's more, like, like you said, it's kind of more fun for your players when they mm-hmm. can focus on, okay, like here's what, here's what we can do and we can just do this rather than try to always worry about what the other team has and, and try and stop that. I think it's just Absolutely. more fun to focus on let's just run it out and let's try to run out the yes. break and let's try and play in the eighties. And let's just, I, from a see what happens. I can boil it into a simple thing. Uh, most people, I think uh, early on in their careers, especially when they first get started, you almost build your team around a post player. Mm-hmm. I've got a six, five kid. I got this six, nine kid. I got for girls basketball. I got this six foot two girl, uh, you know, whatever it might be. I, I don't know. And I'm going to build around that. And that was my philosophy. I said, okay, who's my big? Who's, who's the kid I'm going to dump the ball into the post and get my easy baskets and my layups uh, from my post player? And then my philosophy almost went 180 degrees. Who's my point guard? Who can control mm-hmm. tempo? Who can control the basketball? Who can get me a good shot? And then I'll build the rest of it out from there. Sure. As opposed to saying, you know, I'm going to build it inward uh, sure. onto the post player. I, we went the other way. If I got a post player, great. You better learn to dribble, pass, and shoot, or you ain't going to be a post player very long. <laughs> Well, so you, you brought up about the, the idea of kind of like you're going to concede some things with mm-hmm. size. Like, I mean, that's just naturally what's going to happen. And I think mm-hmm. that's something that I've tried to, you know, think about more and, and try and, and, and mm-hmm. teach more is, is the idea, well, okay, so let's say, you know, I give up a, ba- a basket, a uh, girl mm-hmm. scores, back to the basket, offensive rebound, uh, whatever. Well, mm-hmm. once she scores, the, my my philosophy is like, all right, well, 
it's it's a fast break now. Like inbound it and let's go because that tall girl is now the furthest point away from our basket because she's her back is to the other basket. And so Amen. I think that I think it's just kind of like your philosophy. Like okay, you gave up a basket. All right, no time to dwell on it. Time to go. Like go 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 yes. and, and just keep on moving. And and, and that's where you try to level the playing field. That person may have a post that physically I can't match to, uh, either from a strength standpoint or from a height standpoint. But like you said, if you score, which I'm going to try to do my best to prevent you from doing and make it difficult on you when you score, you're going to have to chase me up down the floor all night long. And how long are you willing to do that as a, as a bigger post player? And, and that's kind of something that we really try to preach to our guys is, you know, run, run, run. Make that bigger kid chase you all night long. And hopefully somewhere in the middle of the third quarter, fourth quarter, his legs start wearing out. And then he's not as quite a physical dominant post player on the low block and you can kind of neutralize a little bit of that yeah um, yeah and 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 even even with that we, we had some situations I remember last year we had we had some some girls that we would uh you know we'd be we'd just be running 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 and we would have some of those bigger girls who you know they, they might be you know eating us up a little bit at the beginning but mm -hmm. then you know by the third quarter even if we had a situation where we fouled them those girls were exhausted mm -hmm. get them at the exhausted. free throw line especially some of those some of those bigger yeah. ones you know just it's a stereotype but it's a stereotype for a reason <laughs> that exactly. you know some of them you get them to the free throw line after they've been running ragged for three quarters yep. and you'll see some interesting free throws being shot that that's for yeah, sure absolutely. um i, I want to i want to ask uh because you brought up earlier about the fact that you know, things aren't, aren't necessarily uh, as physical as, as they once were. And so mm -hmm. how does, how has that kind of worked in terms of like being in an undersized team when a player uh, from the opposing team, like does post you up or, or maybe does mm -hmm. try and get a little bit, bit more physical. Have, have you found mm -hmm. that like the rules have, have kind of changed the way things are called down there if like post yeah, play in particular? You, you, again, I, when, and I think more about when I really first got started 30 years ago when I was coaching JV basketball, we would definitely have – it was no problem at all for me to put a 5'10-ish, 5'11-ish football player on a 6'2", 6'3", post player from the other school because I was just going to say, we're going to beat you to death physically. We're going to – you know, we're really going to get physical. We're going to have the forearm in the lower back. We're going to half wrap and really push you off the block and get real physical. And we're going to try to make it a fist fight down there on the low block and not allow you to post up and – the rules don't allow you to do that anymore. You, they've basically taken that kid out of the game. Uh, so, you know, the, and, and it's funny I say that because you truly don't see many of those type of players in my area. And I'm just basing this off North, North Carolina and the western half of the state of North Carolina. You truly don't see many of that. He's, he's a football player. You can clearly look at him and tell he's nothing but a football player. And they're bringing him out there to bring some physicality and toughness because he has no basketball skill. He's just a tough guy. You don't see that much anymore. I mean, even those quote-unquote football players have skill, uh, and they've become athletic, and they've learned how to play mm -hmm. basketball too. So, yeah, yeah. If, if you can't handle the ball, like I, at least in this game, or you can't have a shot in the – like it just – you don't really see the floor, <laughs> at least here nope. either. So nah, You're not anymore. And like I said, that, that, that kid is – that kid used to have a role. Uh, even back when I played in high school, I could think of a lot of kids on our team older than me, younger than me that – they didn't possess the best basketball skill, but they were very physical, very tough, uh, and, and wouldn't back down from any challenge. So they had a role. They had a distinct role in the team. And I think about those kids now, they would be glorified backups at best if they even made the team because there's just no place for a kid that all he can do is be physical. Uh, hmm. he, he's going to have to learn how to do something. So, yes, 
Uh, and I think that goes back to something you and I talked about earlier too, about the technique and, and the teaching and, and how, how, how has it evolved at the high school level. Because before you could just say, are you tougher than him or is he tougher? Than him? <laughs> uh, who's going to win this arm wrestling match? Who's going to be more physical? Mm-hmm. Well, now you've actually got to teach that kid some skill. You've got to teach that kid how to use his mind and his head, how to get position ahead of time and how to use his footwork properly uh, and how to uh, gain positioning uh, through just, you know, sheer will and technique versus just I'm going to bulldoze you out of the freaking way uh, and make you go where I want you to go uh, or do what I want you to do. And, and you've got to be schematic about it too. You know, how are you going to double team the post? Where is it coming from? When is it coming? Uh, are we going to front the post? Are we going to play dead behind? Are we going to half wrap? Are we going to front from the ball side? Are we going to, or excuse me, help from the ball side? Are we going to help from the weak side? Where's our rotations coming from? How are we going to rotate out of that? Those are conversations that you really, truly didn't have that much of back, you know, 20 years ago. It was mm-hmm. much more, I'm going to take my most physical player, I'm going to put him on your most physical player, and it's going to be a daggone football game on the low block every night, and whoever wins is going to win that game. And 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 you could speak to speak to this too because because we kind of brought this up earlier too, just about mm-hmm. the idea of, you know, like doubling the post. And, you know, now mm-hmm. if, like how many people are, are outside shooters now, the, the thought of doubling the mm-hmm. post and leaving somebody out on the wing, I, yeah. I don't know about for you, but that, that can get a little scary too if you're, if you're going to be giving it, it that up. It absolutely can. Going back to, like I said, 20 years ago, if you've got a kid that was – you're playing that physical style, that, that old school, I'm going to get after you. And, and the, the post player was still dominant. Well, you would just immediately go double team from the, whoever threw the ball into the post. There wasn't any, there was no schematic difference why I would rotate off this guy and not that guy. Because, again, the three point shot wasn't necessarily thought of as a weapon, it was thought of as a fallback plan. And coaches were almost reluctant to shoot it, they wanted to throw the post so much. Well, now you've had to get creative because, hell, they've got three or four shooters out there, and they can all shoot it. And, if, and you've got to be creative about how you rotate because if you leave the wrong one open, it's going to cost you more than that two points the post would have given you. It's going to cost you. Uh, and um, that's the style we've taken on the offensive end. We're really going to try to spread you out, and I'm going to try to put three or four shooters out there on the floor, and I'm going to make you figure out which one of us you're going to let shoot because uh, mm-hmm. through our actions and our, and our movement – we're going to be open enough to where somebody's going to get a shot. Uh, and uh, so, you know, you, right. the teaching's got had to evolve. The strategic knowledge of how to rotate people's had to evolve. Uh, and it's been great. Well, uh, I'm curious about how, how things are in your area, because I know one of the philosophies that, that is kind of talked about about here, at least out here mm-hmm. in Phoenix, uh, with some of the coaches I talk to is if they get in that situation where they're undersized and, you know, there's a player who's, you know, playing back to the basket. I know that there's mm-hmm. coaches whose philosophy is I would rather risk seeing if that back to the basket player even has any post move to go to rather than yeah. an open three point shot. I don't know how it's like in North Carolina, but I yeah, know some yeah. coaches are like, okay, if you want to, uh, let me see if you can even do an up and under, you have any move that you can go to down there. Well, I, I can honestly say, and if any of the coaches in my area kind of get a copy of this podcast, uh, that is our first go to is I'm not doubling you. I am not going to do anything special. I don't care how good you, your name is or your reputation is. I'm going to see uh, just how good you are in the post first. I'm going to force you to have to force me to make adjustments before I automatically make them just because you're a post player. And yes, because strategically, most everybody else has kids that can shoot it too. Uh, so if I go all of a sudden immediately kicking the game off with 
rotations and double teams and traps on the post, I'm inevitably inviting something they want me to do anyway, which is leave their best shooter open. Uh, so right. uh, I think our knee-jerk reaction is we, we press and we trap and, and we try to put that post player in a position where they have a decision with the ball, hopefully 30, 40 feet from the basket. Uh, and then once they get it to that point, how good are your post moves? Because uh, just to be honest with you, kids don't work on post moves anymore. They can I dribble drive and and one move you and can I break your ankles with a, a crossover move and uh, all this other kind of stuff. They don't work on drop steps and, you know, jump hooks and up and unders with both hands and things of that nature, reverse pivots and taking you like one little dribble, two shots, and the things that post players of the 80s and 90s did. You know, that's what they made their living off of. So, sure. you know, I, I've got some post players. I, I don't, like I said, we don't, we don't really feature them, but I, I know I have to spend a, a, little, a, a bit of skill possession time every year going, okay, so I got to teach you what a jump hook is. I got to teach you how to drop because you guys all want to do is face the basket and shoot. Uh, <laughs> that's what most players, post players yeah. do nowadays. And I, th I think that this is, this is not something that either you or I, I deal with because we don't have a shot clock here either, but I, I do know mm -hmm. that there's some states that do. And, and I think that that kind of combines um, a, a, what we just sort of talked about though. Like if you're, mm -hmm. If you're a team that, if you're uh, at, a, at a state that does have a shot clock, and let's say you do, you do the press, and, and maybe all the press does is just take off time, and then by the time that it gets in the low post, well, if that player only has like a few seconds, they're going to have to do something, and and that's just going to mm -hmm. eat up time on that shot exactly. clock for them to. I mean, you, you know how long it is. You know, you get down to mm -hmm. the low block. How long does it take sometimes for a player if they want to set up something or do? I mean, if you have a shot yeah. clock. Is eating up time with yes. that, and so I, I think that that's Absolutely. also something to consider too. Is is that is not a mm -hmm. a quick process to set that up, especially mm -hmm. if you can do a press just to slow a team down as well. I know yeah. I don't have a shot clock, and you don't either, but I imagine that it would take a while still to to set something up like that, especially I, to I, finish with a post move. I'm one guy in in a country of 300 million <laughs> or whatever we got. <laughs> But I just – I don't understand some people's philosophy on not thinking a shot clock would benefit the game. And I know some coaches in my own area and my own state would, like, burn me an effigy for making that statement. But And, and it's not about necessarily the, what you would just talk about. To me, it's more about how it would change the end of the game, uh, you know, strategically, that more basket, basketball strategy would come into play about I don't have to foul down three with a minute on the clock. Uh, if we've got a you know thirty second shot clock per se, you know, and, and it, I, to me it just it would make the game more fun uh, and more strategic, and you would learn who's who can who understands the game a little better. So right. I wish. I We'll I'm, with, I'm with you because I, I can tell you for as a coach who who's never coached a uh, coach with a shot clock if, if my team mm -hmm. is down 10 with four minutes to go and now we're in effect getting punished because maybe we've only had one foul and now mm -hmm. I have to start racking up all these fouls it, it's yeah. it's like you're punishing my girls for not fouling earlier yes. you know it just creates situations Absolutely. like that where you know, and, and again, the, like you the, said, it's just, it's not basketball almost at that point. The the knee-jerk, almost automatic response to the shot clock is financially we can't afford it. My probably said the same thing 30 years ago when they introduced the shot clock or the play clock in football. Now, I don't know of a high school anywhere in the country that doesn't have a play clock, uh, you know, in football. So if, if you made it a rule and made it a thing, the people would figure out how to get it done. Uh Oh, we don't have enough people to do the clock in basketball as it is now, so we can't add a second person to handle the shot clock. 
they said the same thing 30 years ago in football, and they seem to be doing just fine with the play clock. Uh, so I don't know why we can't get to that point in basketball. I wish we would. Uh, but that's that's my soapbox, as you said. Oh, no. oh, oh I'm, so. I'm with you. I, I mean, what, what you just said right now, I mean, that sort of like mm. burns in my head because one of my mm. one of my philosophies is, you know, don't ever mm. let logistics get in the way from what's the right thing to do. Like Absolutely. logistics aren't an excuse for what for mm. what's right. If, if, if it matters mm. enough to you, you'll figure out a way to to get it done. And, Absolutely. And, uh, the, yeah. Oh, no, I'm with you. And, so. I, and I'll be honest with you. People pitch a fit about it, but I'll bet you if someone – had the time and the wherewithal and the, and the logistic ability to pull this off. If you did a case study, just took a state with that does not like it did a case study of the entire state. I bet you would find that most schools, if you said, okay, in high school, use a 35 second shot clock. I bet you most schools shoot the ball way before 35 seconds ever gets there. Uh, mm -hmm. They don't think they do, uh, but they, they'd be shocked at when they got out there, actually how long 35 seconds can be uh so you know i, I don't oh, that takes away from the way we play and we can't run all of our sets yeah you can i bet you you wouldn't realize how long 30 35 seconds might be yeah so yeah. Uh, no, no i think i think that's a good point i think that that would be a good experiment for for maybe a group of coaches just to mm -hmm. just chart it themselves have somebody who just pretends like there is a shot clock and see Correct. how long it takes for for shots to go up and i mean 35 seconds i mean yeah that that seems like an eternity <laughs> to me it does if we're not i'm hoping i've got four possessions in 35 yeah, seconds well, yeah <laughs> if you're getting in the 80s i mean that oh, for sure for sure if you're going mm -hmm. up there in the 80s so we we've kind of we kind of touched on this but uh, i, I want to kind of bring it back to this question about mm -hmm. You know, the, these co coaches who come in, especially, you know, no newer coaches or maybe coaches who are taking a position, they're like, oh, man, everyone mm -hmm. I have is, is you know, they're, they're tiny and they're like, like mm -hmm. what am, what am I going to do here? So what, what advice would you give to, to coaches who just are like, oh, we're the smallest team in the region, coach. I don't know what mm -hmm. we're going to do with, the, with these guys or girls. Yeah. Well, to me, I, again, I think that's a uh, mirror question. I look myself in the mirror all the time. Mm -hmm. It's that same exact question. <laughs> to this you you've got to take a look at your personnel over the long haul uh, you can't base it off what's what this one team one year would be able to do and completely change everything you do one team you make adjustments in what you do for that one team but you 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 kind of take a look at your program as a whole and and your and your what type of kids am i bringing in what type of kids are here year in and year out for us i'm always going to have Marginal athletic kids, and I know that if they're going to hear this, they're going to get. But I tell them all the time, so get upset with me. You ain't the greatest athlete in the world. Get over it. All right. Uh, typically on my team, I don't have but a handful of kids that can dunk. Uh, we're just undersized and not that athletic. But what I typically do have is a lot of kids that can shoot, a lot of kids that can dribble, a lot of kids that usually pass pretty good, and their decision making is decent. I think that's something that we've got to improve on personally for us, but. You know, we usually have kids that can make good decisions. Uh, so why would I not put more of those kids in scenarios to, to play? Absolutely. And then, two, to be successful, get more kids out on the floor that do what we do best uh, and quit trying to worry about, oh, my gosh, uh, we'll never have the size to compete with school A or school B down the road. Uh, I wouldn't worry about that. I would say, well, I think I went to a college coach last year, two years ago, excuse me, and I said, oh, help me. I got four freshmen that I want to move up, and none of them are really ready from a defensive standpoint, from a physicality, and they're tiny. I mean, they're like, 
but they can all shoot the heck out of it. I mean, they can absolutely fill it up. What would you do if you were me talking to this college coach and you said, well, they've got to guard them too. And if they can shoot, I like my chances. So I'd bring all four of them up and I'd let them shoot it. Uh, and I said, I was like, that sold it for me. And, I, and that's kind of the thing of put your kids in the best possible scenario to be successful, give them the tools to be successful, uh, and then allow them to be successful. Uh, in other words, don't get, you go to one game and you get hammered on the low block and you get killed on the board. Don't go, I told you we can't play this way and change everything. Uh, get, play to your strengths. Um, and, and I, you know, I, I think there's a question you sent me pre ahead of time that was something that you want to ask me. I hope we get to it. But, like, mm -hmm. I had to come full circle in my full circle of this philosophy and, and really kind of take a look at, okay, uh, here's where we're at as a program right now. And we've been playing kind of this undersized role for a while now, and we're still not as effective as we need be. Why? Why are we not as effective as we should be? Uh, why are we not winning the games that we feel like we should win? Uh, and then I had to look at there's what I've got coming, which is those four freshmen. Uh, and I had to take our whole style and really pour gasoline on it and say, okay, I, I'm not changing everything we do, but at the same time, I've got to make some major adjustments to this, what we're doing, because I'm still not putting my kids in the best possible chance to be successful. Uh, and that's, that, it, it took some guts. It took a lot of guts. And uh, right. I struggled with it for a, probably two or three years knowing that's what we need to do, but having enough guts to do it. Uh, so, uh, and, and with that, I, I, I'm, I'm curious about, in, in your experience, like players, they, they, they know, like they know internally if they're smaller than the team that they're playing with. But like, mm -hmm. if you as a coach, if you don't emphasize it, like the size discrepancy, are, are your players even like, too worried about it or is it one of those situations where like if you're a coach who like hammers this to your team how small they are that all of a sudden they're going to become really self-conscious and be like oh we are Correct. really undersized I, I, I'm just curious how that sort of mental I, dynamic I think works. you certainly address it I don't think it's something you run from sure. uh, and you say but I think you have to spin it in a way with high school kids to where they think it's an advantage they think that ha 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 we got a secret that you don't know about you know we're, we're small but we're like the Tasmanian devil uh, you know that type of stuff uh, so, you know, I think, yes, if you go in going, oh, my God, I don't know how we're going to compete with those bigger teams. Yes, eventually those kids are going to go into every game going, we can't win. Uh, so, you know, definitely you got to spin it. You're a, you're a, as a high school coach, middle school coach, you're the ultimate spin doctor. Uh, you know, you're always thinking, that, you know, how can I make this seem like it's a pot of gold? Uh, you know, so um, that's big to me. A psycho, ego, I don't know what you want to call it, the psyche of a high school kid. It's so fragile anyway. Uh, you know, so you got to really kind of spin things to – and I think that's one thing that I, I pride ourselves on is even the years when we're god-awful and terrible, uh, our, our kids are still fighting at the end because I've convinced them they're pretty good. Uh, even though they've only won five or six games. I, hey, look, hey, we're, we're a heartbeat away from going on a run and winning seven or eight in a row because we're there. We're right there. We just got to keep battling and, and you're just you're spinning it to keep your kids in it, to keep them competitive, to to give them a fighting chance where they don't back down from people. So, yeah, and that's who our school is. Sure. Our, our school is just that we're we're competitive and we're going to fight and we're not going to back down from anybody. So again, I'm, I've got to put myself in a situation where I use that to my advantage, and I put our kids in that situation where it's like, hey, it's us against the world. We we ain't backing down from nobody. That kind of stuff. So. 
and, and yeah, that, I mean, that, that just sort of goes with the mindset, even when, like, to that point where, like, to them being undersized is, like, right where they want to be almost. Like, that's exactly, exactly. Like where they, they want to be. They, they don't even want to have that advantage. It's almost like they kind of want to be, like, literally looked down on or, like, not maybe taken as, like, seriously as, 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 as they right. should be. And, and it's like, okay, now well, we're going to surprise you now, so you should probably mm-hmm. be taking us more seriously. So that can, exactly. that can also be a big help. And, and that's, I know, something that you use to your advantage. And just as a couple couple other things I know we talked about, and you can feel free to add on them. It, it sounds like, um, th- I feel like ball handling and just getting out getting out and, and mm-hmm. running out, it, are those like the things that you're really trying to emphasize and use to your advantage on the court? Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, every coach, every school, every team, every program that, that is not brand new, but obviously you've got to have some years under your belt for there to be enough enough information for people to go off of. They develop a reputation, you know, they develop a – a certain pattern and people start getting to know oh when I play this team they're going to do this when I play that school they're going to be this and that kind of stuff I think if you ask most of the coaches in our area uh, they'll always tell you our kids are very skilled uh, that we do a really good job in our skill development we do a really good job of teaching ball handling uh, we got a lot of a lot of stuff and we spend a lot of time every day even during the season in skill development every day uh, we don't back down from that and you know I told you I coached AAU girls basketball for a while and uh, a long time, still do, really. And I've had many a practice with the AE girls basketball teams where we didn't work any X and O's. The whole practice, two hours, hour and a half, whatever, was all dedicated to skill development. Uh, and then we would turn around and go play a game. And they were shockingly surprised at how good they were uh, when they when we didn't really talk about defense or offense. We just talked – we just did skill development stuff the whole time. So uh, the – I think that's hurt us some, too, in terms of community outlook, maybe, uh, because people see how skilled our kids get. They see what they look like when they were, say, fourth, fifth grade. Uh, then they saw what they looked like when they came to high school. And then all of a sudden, now I've got them as a, as a junior or senior, maybe even a sophomore in high school, and they've been through our skill development program and our summer camps and things for the years, and they see the progression, and they think that that automatically translates, oh, my kid can shoot it now. My kid can dribble it really well my kid can do this, that we're all of a sudden going to win and we should win and we're supposed to win. And I can't, some of that's on me and I'm not going to deny that. I, we, I feel like we should be better than what we are at times and things of that nature. We should win more games than we win. Uh, but I think sometimes the, the, the package that we present is that we are better than what we really are because we can dribble, we can pass and we can shoot uh, because we spend so much time on that that idea of you know after you get some years under your belt and everything like that you kind of have like your your image or you have like your identity almost as a coach mm-hmm. and as a team and and I think that you know you're gonna face those situations where, where you mm-hmm. find that you're, you're gonna be undersized but I feel like you're gonna notice that after a year or two like huh there's a good chance I'll probably always be undersized and that's fine like mm-hmm. here is what our identity is going to be regardless of that mm-hmm. and so when you when you see a team or you face a team that's bigger than you, you're like all mm-hmm. right well that doesn't change our identity like we are still this and it doesn't matter really how yes. big you are and I think that's mm-hmm. kind of what you've sort of internalized and developed yeah. and, and you, you've got to have a style and a philosophy that 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 suits your kids. Uh, I think if, if uh, you know, you, you're a pound it in the post guy and by gosh, you ain't going to back down. From you don't have a pound it in the post kid. Well, there's an issue there all to begin with. And uh, mm-hmm. I've been where we didn't have good shooters and I've been through years where we didn't have the best ball handlers. 
but it was still more advantageous for us to put more of those kids on the floor because that's what I have more of. Mm. Uh, I have more of those type of kids. They may not be the best I've had in our program's history. They may not be the best in our in our area at doing it, but it's still the at, at that time that's the best I've got, and that's the strength of my team mm. is able to spread people out, dribble the basketball, pass the basketball, and make decent shots. Uh, so uh, I think I think really the the offensive side of it is big because you you know I think there's many ways to skin a cat on the offensive end. I think a lot of it comes back to the defensive end. Uh, how are you going to compensate for the potential lack of size? Well, if you allow bigger teams, more physical teams, taller teams to walk the ball up the floor or essentially get the ball up the floor, run their stuff, <laughs> get the ball where they want to run it to, get it to who they want to get it to at the position they want to get it in, you're going to lose. So Because yeah. you're, you're at a physical disadvantage to begin with have to take that as an undersized team you almost have to say and, and trust me if you saw my team you go you're pressing people with those kids that we're not the greatest athletes in the world we're not most of my kids are five nine to six two uh and you know like i said we're just not great athletes we're pretty good athletes but we're not great athletes mm -hmm. uh, but we press people and and we rotate trap a lot and we're very aggressive in our defensive philosophies uh and that doesn't necessarily mean man-to-man. -man. It doesn't necessarily mean that. So if you're a zone guy, uh, you, can, you can be very aggressive. And, how, and it doesn't necessarily mean that we're always in zone. I have had a problem with some having, having to play younger kids sometimes before they're ready. And so sometimes we almost inevitably fall back on some zone principles when I don't necessarily want to because we're just so young and inexperienced. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's, it's all about – getting the most out of your kids, the maximizing the talent they have, and then putting the other school in a situation where you don't allow them to capitalize on their advantage. Uh, so, you know, that's what you have to do defensively. We've uh, historically, the last few years, we've been kind of a, you know, a, we mix up the fronts, but it's either a one-two-two or a two-two-one press, trying to slow people down, trying to funnel you into areas, trying to get you out of your stuff, out of your rhythm. Uh, and then we, we'll fall back into a, Sometimes what I teach and what I hope is a very aggressive uh, little, you know, one, two, two matchup zone uh, that we can occasionally trap out of. I'm a man to man guy. Mm -hmm. Taught it forever, coached in it forever. My initial reputation as a coach that landed me two jobs was essentially the fact that I was a man to man teacher. Uh, and then I knew it as good as anybody in our area, uh, but had to improvise, adapt, and overcome. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, we became a zone team for a lot of years, but I, you know now I'm even evolving that even more, and and we look more like we want us to be now. We're we're very aggressive on the defensive end, and our whole philosophy is I don't want that other team to be able to run their stuff. How do you accomplish that? That's up to you as a coach to decide that. But yeah. I'm not gonna let you as the opposing team run your stuff uh, because that's what you work eighty percent of your practice on is running your sets your your offense and i'm not gonna let you do it i'm gonna try to do everything i can to take you away from that make you go to backyard basketball figure out a way to score in other ways that maybe you're not used to mm -hmm. uh, and there's you can press you can trap you can fly around you can play a two, three zone you can do it whatever your style your style your philosophy is but you gotta take teams away from what they want to do well and and that's I when made, 
That's when the disadvantage will be the most apparent is if the other team is just running what it wants. Then, then if they can just mm -hmm. walk to whatever it is that they want, then that disadvantage that you have, well, that's going to be in full effect because they're doing what they want and you didn't really make much of an attempt to stop them. And I think, and, and I think this sounds kind of a little bit like your philosophy. You know, if you do, mm -hmm. if you are pressing and if you are getting after it, there are going to be some things you do give up like that, that, that it, it will happen, but it will, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a lot different when it looks like you're, you're, you know, you're getting after it and you're making them work mm -hmm. for it rather than them, you know, like you said, walking into mm -hmm. their, <laughs> walking into their set and getting it right where mm -hmm. they want. And then I don't know, hoping for the well, best. <laughs> if, if you remember, Parts, earlier parts of our conversation, I talked about there was a time period when I would be, I was so enamored with size that I put all this size out there. And we and then we went to the slowdown game when I tried to put more. But even when we went to the running up down the floor, putting more shooters, stuff, I still, especially on the defensive end, was we're going to play traditional. We're going to play our traditional man, our traditional zones. And mm. we're going to, you know, and we're going to basically, I'm going to coach my kids up as hard as I can coach them. And we're going to play harder than everybody else. And that, in and of itself, but in the end game, it came down to my team versus their team, both of us running our strengths. Sure. Well, I'm in a physical disadvantage. So if both of us are getting to do what we both do best, and I'm in a physical disadvantage, I'm going to lose a lot of those games that I probably could win if I would do something different. So that's when I kind of landed on this whole idea, not idea, it's just philosophy, I guess style more than anything else is like, I understand I'm going to give up stuff around the rim. I understand I'm going to give up something, but I am not – I'm bound and determined to not let you run your stuff. I'm going to make you have to go to your third, fourth, fifth option uh, to beat me. And and sometimes that's good enough. I, I get it. I'm I'm not. And even last year, we were so young. I had four freshmen and seven sophomores up on the varsity because we were so young. Uh, so we lost a lot of games just simple out of – a lot of games we were winning in the third quarter and or right there at it, you know, down two, down three, and then we'd get beat by 15. Uh, and a lot of that's inexperience, but that wasn't, I think sometimes maybe our community think, well, if they weren't running up down the floor and trapping and pressing and all that stuff, they wouldn't have, no, we wouldn't have been in the game in the third. <laughs> we would have lost by 40 if we exactly. didn't do that. Yeah. So. Right. And, and, and that, that kind of ties back in though, to, to the idea, especially if you're a newer, younger coach, like you have to know who you are and you have to trust mm -hmm. your own knowledge of basketball and you have to understand that when you look at that scoreboard and yeah we lost by 15 mm -hmm. but I'll tell you what if we didn't do what we did whew, you know we would have lost by 40 and uh, exactly. it, it would have gotten ugly really quickly and we wouldn't have even been in yeah. it and and I think that it, it's hard for other people and I and I totally get it mm -hmm. because parents you know they have their child and they're going to high school for four years and like it's the most important thing and they want them to be successful and everything but you I, know I what that you... looks like <laughs> I think if you go with the mentality of I'm going to put whatever I have the most of, whatever I have the best weapons of, I'm going to put the most of them on the floor, and then I'm going to do everything I can to not let the other team gain an advantage by running the stuff they know the best, then I think you're going to give yourself a chance to win every game you play, whether you're the most talented team or not. You, you put the best players you have out on the floor and give them the most opportunity to play, and then you take away the other team's strength as much as you can and force them to go to something they don't necessarily work on all the time. You've given yourself the best opportunity to win every game you play. And that's all you can ask for as a coach. I, I, we're, we're not as good as them. We're not. But we're not going to let them run their stuff. And we're going to have the best weapons I've got on the floor and the best opportunity to win. That's as good as an opportunity to have to win this game as we're going to have. We're not going to mono and mono toe-to-toe -to -toe with them. That's not going to happen. So uh, 
Yeah, no, and and I think that that also helps bring bring build your identity and like kind of build your mm -hmm. your culture as a team. Where like when people see your school on, on the schedule, they're like, oh, all right, like, you know, they mm -hmm. got they got to bring their lunch, right? They they're like, all right, you know, like <laughs> it's they're, they're not we're not just gonna be able to roll over you or or you know just impose our will on you. Like we're gonna have to have to work through it. And and there's so much pride that I think can be taken in that, mm -hmm. um, at, just as a coach and as a team when like they're fighting for everything and i mean what more could you want as a coach <laughs> than to have your players you well, know fighting and it goes to kind of back that up to what you're saying there and this this is not a a bold statement or a bragging statement by no means it, it's it just backs up your point you made there at our end of season coaches meeting where we vote all conference all district and all that stuff last year we had a losing record we finished last in the conference and every coach going you were the scariest team on my schedule if both times we played you during the regular season, I was scared to death. And, and I didn't know what happened. And, and you put our kids in such a situation that I just didn't know. I, I mean, I didn't. And, yes, we were finished last in the league. I had four freshmen and seven sophomores up. So, you know, I didn't really have – we we fought like a cat every night to get in the game. Uh, but uh, to have all the other coaches in our conference and our league come up and say, you were the scariest team all year long by far. I mean, I, I – Fifteen last time, and I'm scared to death to play you a second time. That's a credit to us doing exactly what I was talking about. We're going to force you to do what you don't want to do, and we're going to force you to play against kids you don't want to play. We're going to spread you out like mayonnaise, and we're going to try to see if you can guard us. So. It'd be like just asking all the coaches in that room, guys, can you just record all of that, and I'll just play that <laughs> at a parent meeting, and then exactly. <laughs> we'll we'll just let exactly. that play, and then then we'll be then mm -hmm. we'll be. And I mean, yeah, I mean, if you had such a young team and there's nothing wrong with that you know you play young players just you know you're gonna get beat up sure but wait, wait look at look, look at what will happen a year or two from now and well and, if, if and we I, get to play in North Carolina this year that's gonna come full circle because mm -hmm. uh, only only one other team in our conference brings back as many kids as I bring back and they don't even bring back as many as I do but they have a lot of returning kids as well sure but with that being said, we went from the youngest team, the most experienced team, to right around the top in terms of experience. And one more year from now, when all those sophomores are now seniors, another year from now, we will by far be the most experienced team. Mm -hmm. It'll be a lot scarier. Four years of basketball at the yeah. varsity level. Sure. So. Yeah. And so, yeah, if they're scared to play you now then yeah. just, just give us a Hopefully couple we'll years keep getting better yeah, absolutely uh well this is great and so i mean there's so much that that we touched on here so uh this kind of flew by so i'm going to go ahead and hit up our uh concluding segment here that i ask every guest yeah. coach first question here a coaching moment from your career if you can just choose one i know you have plenty but a coaching moment from your career that you think others listening would be able to learn from uh it really kind of goes hand in hand with this whole conversation that we've talked about to be honest with you mm -hmm. i Looked at our program where we were at about five years ago. I had some really good sophomore basketball players up on varsity. This is not the current group I'm talking about. This was the group that just left out of here that created that situation. And I was very – I knew in my heart of hearts that we needed to change what we were doing offensively mm -hmm. and really defensively and go to even a super more aggressive style on, with both ends and put more shooters out on the floor. And we went from shooting – 15 to 23 pointers a game to where we're shooting 35 and 43 pointers a game, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and that's, that's a big pill to swallow. So it took me two years to get it up enough guts to say, we're going to live and die by shooting 30 and 40 and 53s a game. Uh, because I've got four and five kids I can put on the floor that can all shoot threes. Sure. I remember the, when I first started thinking, this is what we need to go to. We went to the first game of the year uh, and we did this style 
without even realizing we would gone to it. And we shot 30, 30 I think we shot 33 game and we only made seven or eight of them. And you know, my assistant coach is going, we can't win like this. We can't win shooting 30. And I'm in my own self going, thinking so old school and how I thought for so many years, oh my God, I can't believe we shot 33 threes and only made six or eight of them. We got to change. And guys, you got to get those threes down to like 20. Well, now, you mean to tell me you only shot 30 threes? Getting up to 40, 50. Uh, but again, that took a lot of guts. Sure. It took a lot of time. And I, I wish that I knew in my heart of hearts it should be, had to be done, needed to be done, but I was reluctant to do it for two years. Now I had to do it with a group of freshmen and sophomores. And had I done it, had I was called for our program two years prior with the group that left out of here with that group, we would have been special because that group was really, really good and I didn't maximize their talent because I tried to play too traditional with them and not put four and five shooters on the floor and let them shoot five to 53s. I tried to hem them into a box and make them fit a pattern. And, yeah. and I could about kick myself uh, just for, I knew I should have done it and I didn't. It took me two years to get up enough guts to say, I'm doing it. So if anybody's listening to me out there and you kind of got those things like, mm, I don't know, do it. Do it. You can always punt and go backwards, but you the fear of regret or the pain of regret will kill you in the end game when you know you should have done it two years earlier. Yeah, it, it, it's always the balance between your, your personal like coaching philosophy and what you think is right versus what you have out there on the floor and like that's the reality of like what you have and you know I may come across a situation one of these years where all of a sudden I get like a traditional back to the basket player and I've like mm -hmm. never really coached one but if I have one then it's like okay well something will change because of this and and right like you have to coach the players who you have and what their strengths are and maximize those even if it isn't what you're used to doing or even if it's like not necessarily like what you normally do but like you only get yeah. those players for a few years and you like you said you don't want to be in a situation where it's their senior night and you're like man if I had just done something different a few years ago we could have we could have really done something else so yeah well if and if you see that kid coming that big low block back to the basket player early enough in their career you start talking to them say look that's that's not how the game's played anymore it's not how sure. we so you better learn how to step <laughs> better learn how to shoot the basketball. You better learn how to play facing the basket or your career is going to not reach its potential. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love the fact that you can play down there and, and we'll, we'll give you some opportunity to do that, but you better learn the other side of it too. Sure. Uh, because if you're not without it, you're not going to play a whole lot. Yeah. And, and, and it sort of ties back in right to, to what we talked about uh, earlier. If you do get a situation where, where you have that players like back to the basket in your mind, mm -hmm. like you're like, I know like, what any good coach is going to do to try and, you know, negate you because that's what I've been doing my pretty much my whole career is stopping people like you and letting them know, like, you need to develop a shot. You need to be in shape, like all these other things that we talked about. So, well, uh, yeah. To this past, not this past summer, not the one we just got out of, summer before last, sure. when, when I made the decision full board that we're going to, we're going to go to this philosophy and this style, and there's no question about it. That's the, the one thing I kept saying over and over and over again. If you're a post player, you got to be looking at this going, uh-oh, I don't see an opportunity for me to play. And, and I would say, and I would this all the time, if you can't run, if you can't, you can't dribble and you can't rebound, then I have no place for you. I don't care if you can post up and play on the low block. If you can't run, rebound, pass, and shoot, then there's really no need for you to be on the floor. Mm -hmm. So I'm telling you guys now, as freshmen and sophomores, You've grown up playing on the low block and never learned how to shoot a three-pointer, and you don't really—you're not a ball handler. You better learn quick, 
because your playing time's going down the twos because I'll put five guards out there on the floor before I put a post player out there that doesn't know how to dribble. Yeah. So, to their that, credit, they've all, they've all revolutionized their game. I'm not saying somebody come in and go, oh, my God. But, you know, for where they were, where they are now, they all can shoot it on some level and they all can dribble it. Right. So, and, and then just to kind of put a bow on that, if you have that, you know, 12, 13-year-old, you know, player, oh, you know, they're, they're, a, they're a post player and they're 6'1". Well, what if they stop growing? Well, they're not post player anymore. So do they, have, anymore. do they have anything else that they can do? Right, yes. exactly. Not pigeonholding players. Great. All right. Mm -hmm. So uh, to wrap up, Coach, I, uh, what I give every, every guest, and, and you used the word mm -hmm. earlier, soapbox, uh, I, I give them a 60-second soapbox. Feel free to go longer. Uh, it's your, your floor mm -hmm. to get out, like, your final idea, your closing message, mm -hmm. just a closing thought you want to leave uh, our listeners with. So I'm going to go ahead and open the floor to you, Coach, and take it away. Well, first off, thank you for having me on here. I really appreciate it. It's been fun. I love talking basketball. I could talk till this time tomorrow if you wanted me to. Uh, but I, I thank you for doing this. This is awesome. This would be my 60-second soapbox. It's so many people nowadays, they get in their own little world. They don't want to learn. They don't want to – I know what I know, and I'm not going to do anything else. And they don't want to go outside of the box, outside of the norm in the realm, and they don't want to give back to other coaches. And, oh, I'm not going to say publicly what I do because I don't want somebody to steal it. Help grow the game. Help all the coaches out. And this right here is phenomenal. I, I uh, applaud you for doing it and putting the time and the effort into doing stuff like this. Um, I'm a little jealous, too, because I don't know how to work a computer like you're doing to get it on there. Uh, but, uh, you know, coaches out there, you know, literally, it doesn't matter how old you are, how long you've been doing it, learn, read, study, call, talk to people, get into communities, uh, into coaching groups that you can be vulnerable and, and have honest conversations with other coaches and, and give back. You know, I think that's probably one of the biggest things that this sport of basketball has given me more than I will ever give it. But on some small level, I feel like I, my ability to repay the game for what it's given me is to pay it forward and to, uh, to help other coaches learn and to help other coaches do stuff. And I'm not saying I know everything. I don't. But a lot of people can learn from my mistakes, uh, you know, thing. Uh, so, you know, I try to help as many coaches as I can. I put on free clinics in our area all the time, and I invite all of our my competitors, and, and I put them all in text groups and email groups, and I talk to them all the time, and I email them all the time, and I text them all the time, and it might be a guy who kicks my feet in, and I'm saying, I'll text him, hey, good luck tonight in your game against so-and-so. Let me know if I can help you. And just trying to grow the game and, and, and to make the game better for our kids and for, for, the, for just – for my love of the game. So please, you know, study. Mm -hmm. I feel in my own world, my own personal world, I've reshaped who I am as a coach dramatically in the last five years. And I'm, it, that would be year 20, 30 of my coaching career. Uh, I feel like I'm a much better coach as I sit here and talk to you right now than I was even five years ago. And it's because I spent so much time studying and watching podcasts and, and listening to this interview and reading this article and talking to coaches. So, you know, dive into it, man. Get into it and learn and, and talk to people. And don't be afraid to have conversations with people about what they do and how they do it. So sure. there's my 60-second soapbox. <laughs> Again, I appreciate you letting me come on. Thank you so much. It's been a very, very much a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks a lot. And I, I really like that, that message. I think that we, one, need to be lifelong learners. And two, mm -hmm. I think that if we got into this for the right reason, it's to help make better people and grow better people mm -hmm. kids and so you know another coach that i play is not my enemy the players that exactly. that coach has are not my enemies mm -hmm. like i just want 
you know, grow the game and, and, and sh share the success and, and grow the Absolutely. game as best we can. I love that. So, uh, Coach, I want to well, thank you that, for – oh, doing that kind of stuff has really kind of made it weird at times because some of the coaches that, that I have to compete with on a night-in and night-out basis are some of my best friends. We go and we hang out and we go to clinics together and we talk to each other and, and you know, text each other about our families and stuff. And then I got to turn around and beat them on a Friday night in a ball yep. game. Uh, sure. I'd rather it be that way than me hating everybody because they're they're they go to another school or or whatever. I mean, we're all basketball coaches. We're all basketball family, in my opinion. Sure. Uh, you know, I just I, I encourage everybody to learn as much as they can, talk to as many people as they can, and get involved. Mm -hmm. Love it. Uh, gr great final thought, Coach Carver. Thanks for spending some time talk talking hoops and, and all of that. Good luck going forward, and I hope you get some games to you play too. this season. You and me <laughs> both, brother. Thank you. Yep, and thank you guys so much for listening. This was another edition of the Basketball Teacher Podcast. We'll see you guys next. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Basketball Teacher Podcast. Make sure to connect with us on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, or reach us directly through email at basketballteacherpodcast at gmail.com. Take care, be safe, and we'll see you next time.